Welcome back to Red Devil Talk, an independent Manchester United podcast. This week, yet again, I've been fortunate to be joined by another fantastic guest, a man who needs no introduction, a man who has worked with Johan Cruyff, Louis van Gaal, Jose Mourinho, an assistant coach at Ajax, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, and of course, a goalkeeping coach for Louis van Gaal's Manchester United. My guest this week is the brilliant Franz Hook, and we spoke for just under an hour this morning. We spoke about goalkeeping, his thesis, Check it out. Cheers. Before we start, friends, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Welcome. And uh, thank you for having me there. Pleasure. I love what you've done with the room there, all the jerseys in the backdrop. It's lovely. Yeah, this is a little bit special because I, uh, this was actually, uh, it was a shop. It was a shop specialized in everything what the coaches needed and everything that a goalkeeper needed and a club. But I, I, I changed it, you know, like some time ago. So what I do now actually is I, um, I, I reorganize everything in this, this building. It's, it's, it's a pretty big building. And this is basically now more or less a studio. So I do a lot of like, you know, webinars and meetings and stuff like that here. So I brought all the, let I say, stuff that I, that I collected, you know, throughout the career here. You can only see a small part here. It's like, it's amazing. It's like, for me, I didn't even know that I had it, but it's like a museum. I never look back, but now because I'm cleaning everything, I have to look back. For example, you see Victor, Victor Valdez. So I, I worked with him since he was 16 at Barcelona. And this was the time that he came up through the youth system. Well, Peter Schmeigel, of course, we played against him with Barcelona. Peter Bahia, probably it's a name that you still uh, remember. One of the best goalkeepers out of... Uh, of course, yeah. I had him in Barcelona. Then you can see David De Gea, Becker. I played against Brazil with uh, Saudi Arabia, for example. You can see Manuel Neuer. You can see Edwin van der Sar. Well, it's, it's an amazing list with like uh, fantastic uh, goalkeepers from then, but also from now. So it's, it's amazing to, uh, to actually look back at that. So I like that very much. Fantastic. That's excellent. How have you found lockdown? What kind of activities have you done to cope or pass the time? Yeah, well, uh, I, I think that um, I'm, I'm a person that can adjust pretty easy to new circumstances. From the age of 16, when I started like to play professional and also studied, I have been in so many different situations, very good, very bad, uh, different countries. So I always can adapt. So in the moment the lockdown was there, for me, of course, it was a very big change because I, I travel quite a lot. Uh, I travel because I have a cooperation with the Japanese Federation, which is fantastic. I am a technical director of um, uh, Orange County, which is in California. And a part of that, I travel quite a lot for UEFA as well. So not being able to do that, you have to look immediately for what is able, what can we do at the moment. So 
it was very clear that, you know, uh, a lot of people don't like it, but like Zoom, team meetings and all that kind of stuff, uh, uh, there's no other way at the moment. So um, I found out exactly how it works, what to do. I did a lot of webinars worldwide also to try out to see how that worked. So at this moment, you know, the program is full. Every week is a very full program. But now, you know, in like a Zoom way, waiting for the moment you are able to travel again. So I haven't been traveling almost for a year. You know, the last time I traveled was in February. It's different. I'm, I'm not uh, losing time by traveling, which I love actually, which is not a problem. But like, you know, like this building, I have to, to get everything like in order. So I have some time to work on that. I work on a new book already for like six years, which will be completed, you know, in the start of next year. Yeah, it's strange. It feels like you are a prisoner, you know, in your own country, in your own house. On the other side, it's the way it is. You have to respect the rules that people make, you know, to beat this virus. And I do that. I keep myself and the rest, we will see how it goes. But be positive. Look at it a good way at it. Do what you can and don't worry about the things that you can't do at the moment. You mentioned a book there. What can you tell us about that book? Yeah, well... If you go back in my history, uh, it's a long way back. I studied uh, my first sport education from 16 till 20. In that sport education, I wrote a thesis on goalkeeping. And I thought it's easy. So what you do with thesis is you get some information about goalkeeping, you make a thesis, that's it. But the interesting thing was it started there. I couldn't get any information. I talk about, you know, 73, 74, 75. And there was no internet like now. And there was no social media like now. So I started then, 74, 75. From that moment on, there was a big demand because there was no specific goalkeeper coaches. There was some about goalkeeper coaching, but not a lot. I tried to start to make a structure, but it was difficult because I was also playing. And you know how it is if you play. And, and, and you say things, which I did out of my feelings, because I never had coached a goalkeeper in my life, then it, it was the start. So 74 till now, it has been an incredibly journey. journey. Uh, the first thing was my first book came out then in 1981. This, I was still playing. The second book, 87, uh, when I was coaching at Ajax. And a lot of, let I say, response came. Goalkeeping was like not really an interesting part. It is now. So I really hope and I hoped that I would get interest on goalkeeping. And I did, I think, because worldwide, goalkeeper coaches are accepted. Goalkeeping becomes more important than it was, also because of the passback rule. But to be very honest, if we see 2 million goalkeeper coaches, we see 2 million different opinions, which makes it very difficult for goalkeepers, but also for coaches to find a clear way. And that is something that I, of course, that I experienced throughout my, my, my career as well. And I think it's time to really try to get everything together um, in a book. And a book, of course, is not always easy for everybody to understand because you have to read it, but it's a book with scientific background. And from the book, there will be masterclasses and stuff like that. So to make it understandable, the base is the game. Everything that I do has to be game related. And also all the practices has to be as game related as possible. So this will be a very interesting book because it will be probably called something like goalkeeping the way it is. It's not that I make it up. It's just very clear analyzing many games and try to find things that are common, 
that are different and why, and then back it up with some uh, scientific background. So this is really a book that I write after all the clubs I've been coaching, all the studying I did in the meantime, everything I learned from everybody around me wherever I was, but make it a clear line that hopefully is very understandable for everybody that can really influence goalkeeping, goalkeeping coaches, coaching in a very positive way. Not only for the specialist, but also for the regular coaches. Because you know how it is nowadays. The coach says, well, goalkeeping, I don't know. I have a goalkeeper coach. That has to be passed. Everybody has and should have an influence on goalkeeping. So this is really something out of all that time, starting in 74 with the thesis and finishing that up now with like a book that probably will uh, have a lot of questions from a lot of people, which is good because it's, I think it's time to put now the quality in goalkeeping and goalkeeping coaching above the quantity. So I'm looking very much forward to that. Fascinating. Look forward to that. You touched on your thesis a moment ago. I'm going to stick with that for a moment. Can you talk me through that process from it becoming an idea in your head to then executing that thesis? Yeah, well, that, that's a very good question, actually. And that, that is because I think I'm a little bit different than a lot of things that are out there. And the reason is, first of all, I was a player. I played in the outfield. A part of that, I had a very wide um, sportive education. I did judo. I'm a black belt in judo. I was a pretty talented volleyball player. I played indoor which was a big thing when I grew up here in Holland as well. And then I went to a sports education, which was very broad. So I had to go, I had to do athletic. I had to do swimming. I had to do gymnastics. I had to do, do all kinds of games. So I'm not, you know, only the goalkeeper. No, I was much more than that, which helped me a lot in my career. So I started as a player, but I also liked goalkeeping because of judo. I was not afraid. Uh, I was brave. I was throwing myself, you know, in the feet of players. I could protect myself. I could fly and dive, you know, and I liked that. But to be honest, I also liked to play. But on a moment that I draw, uh, let us say, attention from scouts was when I played when I was 14 years old in the senior team by coincidence. And I couldn't even touch the crossbar. From that moment on, there was a lot of interest for me as a goalkeeper. And because of that, I could pay my study. So the main reason to become a goalkeeper was because I could study with them, you know, with, they provided me the money to study anyway. Yeah. So you need to know my background is not that I was a go, go, go goalkeeper because in my time you played goalie if you couldn't play out on the field, simple like that. Uh, and it has been changing a lot. So I have the mind of a player in, in a goalkeeper's body. The same with my education. When I had my education, I had my coach's licenses to coach a team. So I always see the game out of the total picture. So starting in 74, I started to work on like the goalkeeper techniques and, and all that kind of stuff. But slowly but surely, it moved already quite quick into what does the game ask? Because I felt I write something here, but it's more like writing it from behind the desk. But what I see in reality, because I was playing, you know, I was not even coaching, but what I see when I play is different than what I wrote down there. Yes, I need technique. Yes, and I need to be quick, whatever it is. But I need to do everything at the right moment, at the right time, and against the players that I play off. And, and I knew that there was always a little difference. So in the back of my head, I knew that it had to be different, only I, I didn't know at that moment how to do it. So 74 
it started with that thesis and, you know, I find everything back also from that time. And what I did is I was reading like staples with interviews from goalkeepers over goalkeepers in that time. Fantastic. I went to the newspaper and asked if I could get pictures of goalkeepers. And I, I, I got all the pictures of the last 20 years of goalkeeping. So it was a fantastic start actually for something that I do right now, but of course on a complete different level. But 74, so, and then when it started, I was young, I was 17, 18 years of, of age. And my, my coach, my teachers were also professional coaches in football. And they said, wow, this is good. We need to make a book out of that because you know there is a need for it. And I said, listen, I'm 19 years of age. How am I going to tell people what to do? I don't even know myself what to do. No, 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 no. They trusted basically what I did. So that was the next step to make a book out of it. So everything basically comes out of a coincidence. It's not that I say, I want to make a book or I want to do this or no, it was like questions. And I tried, you know, to give answers. And even if the, the answers then are completely different than today, but that's development. But anyway, so the background for me is quite quickly, I knew it's all about the game and not about uh, making up exercises. So I, but I didn't really know how to do that. And that came in time. I think for anyone listening to this podcast, don't mess with friends because he's a black belt in judo. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm harmless. <laughs> I think, correct me if I'm wrong and correct me if I'm oversimplifying this, but the key take home from the thesis is the two types of goalkeepers, the R type and the A type. Can you explain the two extremes of a goalkeeper to me? Yeah, well, that, that is also good that you asked me. That was not the, te the, the thesis at that moment. Be why? Because we only had reaction goalkeepers. You know, we the big goalkeepers in the world were reaction goalkeepers. There was already an exception, which was Jan Youngblood of the Dutch national team. Everybody in 74, you remember the World Cup, everybody said Holland is playing without the goalkeeper. And this, of course, drew my attention as well, because I was basically a type Youngblood. Because I was a player, I wasn't glued on the line. I was glued on the line, but I wanted to do more than that. No, no. So the interesting thing was based 81, but also 87, it was all based on basically reaction type. Only I worked at Ajax, 85. And at Ajax, we worked with big spaces. And the type of goalkeeper there was a complete different type than the one that was at that moment, the, 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 the prototype. Hey, you see behind me Schmeigel. You, can, you see Oliver Kahn. They were all big, impressive guys, you know, and, and, and they were fantastic in defending the goal. But the build-up was no issue because they were throwing the ball. Smigel was the best in throwing. Khan was kicking, whatever it was. Nobody asked a lot. That changed during the new uh, rule. So I worked at Ajax already with a type of goalkeeper that was different than the traditional goalkeeper because this goalkeeper had to defend spaces. We played with our team on at half of the field. So the goalkeeper had to defend the space between half of the field and the goal. So that's why we had a type like Stanley Menzo to start with. The follow-up of Stanley Menzo was, of course, Edwin van der Sar. Why? Because they were able to defend these spaces, which was very important for the way of playing with Cruyff and Ajax. What happened in 92 was the change of the rules. So the pass-back rule came in. And the interesting thing of the passback rule was that the game of the goalkeeper completely changed. Why? Because he couldn't pick up the ball anymore after a passback. So you can imagine the panic 
there was under the goalkeepers, but not with us. Why? We had goalkeepers who could play with their feet and they needed that to judge the balls that came in the back of uh, their defenders. So the type we had at that moment was already different. So from day one, it was easy, not that easy, but I say it was easy to transform these type of goalkeepers into an advantage. Why? Because if the ball was be played back to Stanley Menzo, to Edwin van der Sar, we really could do something with it. We could use this player to build the ball up. Even if there was pressure, we loved it because there was always a free player. And the opposite was, of course, the types like Smeigel, like Van Breukelen, like all of these guys, they were not used to play with their feet at all. So when they played the ball back at them, they were basically cleaning up the balls. So we were, we were, uh, we were of course, from the start, we had a big advantage. So we started to do that. From that moment on, and you know, I, I, I liked always to make things concrete. There were many questions to me about the different types. And then I tried to make like a, a, an amateur analysis about what are the qualities of like Peter Schmeigel, of Oliver Kahn, of Hans van Breukel, so the traditional goalkeepers. And what do we need for the future and at this moment for goalkeepers in changing this rule? And then I came up with reaction and I came up with anticipation uh, goalkeepers. And that was the moment. And, and basically at Ajax, I also made already something of a profile. What does the goalkeeper of Ajax need to be cap capable of? That's why Van der Sar came in the time of the Smeigels and the Kaans. And everybody said, how can you bring a goalkeeper like this? He doesn't look impressive. He's not big. He's not powerful. He is like this. How is it possible? Well, because the profile said that he could play the way that we needed at Ajax. So that was at that moment already very advanced. So Van der Sar basically was already by nature an anticipation goalkeeper. And the other ones were by nature reaction goalkeepers. And it, it's a funny thing. If you look at, for example, uh, uh, Peter Schmeigel, Oliver Kahn, if they had to play with spaces, it was already difficult for them. They were not used to that. That was not the type. So you cannot blame them on that. It's just the way how they were. So they were very good on the line. They were excellent in stopping shots, one versus ones, crosses. But they were a little bit less strong with through balls from a long distance. You know what I mean? So it was a very natural process. And what I tried to do was with, of course, I had the background of being a master's degree in physical education, which helps, you know, try to make structures and stuff like that that were understandable. And that was the moment that these two types basically because of the demands can can you make a difference yes i can i can try to make a list to see what happens make it as structured as possible and, and that was how it came so that was like 92 93 the moment the passback rule was there and the differences of how clubs started to use it were so big that you know people wanted to know how is this possible and basically in the end it's a very easy explanation but a lot of people you know, they thought, okay, Smigel can be very good in the pass back. And from Bre but that was not by nature. And you understand that type of goalkeeper nowadays, it's very difficult. It's very difficult because you need qualities in the building up. And some clubs say even the qualities in the building up are more important than the defensive ones. So it's, it's, an, it's a fantastic development. And it started then, and now it's only clearer than ever. You alluded to it there that the 
the back pasture will actually benefit your team. And I love, you understand why I love yeah, it. Yeah, of not? course. It benefits you. Before that, it, it was, yeah, but the, before that, the goalkeeper was only stopping shots, basically. It was, it was stupid. You could, you could practice with the goalkeeper on an island, bring him in on game day because he didn't need to play with his teammates. I exaggerate it. But now with the pass back, and I was also a player, I loved it because it opened so many options and opportunities. And, and the practices became so much more interesting because now you had to cooperate. How do you play the ball back? When do you play it back? With what speed do you play it back? And you know, in the beginning, not in the goal because many goalkeepers made mistakes and the goal areas were not that good. So it gave an incredibly dimension on the game of the goalkeeper. And yes, I was very happy and lucky to be at a club that we could benefit from the beginning more than 100% when we had the ball, but also when the opponent had the ball. If we gave a little pressure, they played all the balls to us. So it, it became a big advantage. Do you think in the modern game, teams and coaches are kind of catching up? I think of Pep Guardiola, I think of Jurgen Klopp, you know, Alisson, Ederson. Do you think teams are now finally recognizing that there is a greater role on the goalkeeper? Well, it's, it's of course, interesting development, and I follow that as close as I can. I worked with Pep Guardiola three years as a player in, in, in Barcelona. Um, and Pep, of course, has been infected by, first of all, seeing Cruyff play, more or less, then having been coached by Johan eh, for a long time, and then Loïc came in, coached Pep as well. So Pep was really already then a student of the game. And what you see with Pep is he took it to the next level. He really took it to the next level. So if you see how City is building the game up, that's 100% the work of Pep. Based on the way how we started in Holland, you know, already in the 70s without the pass back, then with the pass back in 92. And you know that in that time, Barcelona had the goalkeeper Subusereta. And Subisereta was, of course, like Oliver Kahn, Schmeichel, etc. So they didn't really took an advantage out of the out of the passback. And you know the development then, because Busquets, Carlos Busquets, became the goalkeeper with a lot of criticism because he was a better player than a goalkeeper. That was the start. And what you see now is, I think that Pep did a fantastic job in bringing that to the next level. Uh, and you also saw. He had a goalkeeper like Joe, Joe Hart, who was of the national team of England, couldn't play in that way. He replaced Joe. It was not Joe, his mistake or whatever it is. It's just qualities you have or don't have. Bravo came in, which is a great goalkeeper who can build up, was very unlucky. And now uh, Pep has the goalkeeper with Ederson who can do what he wants in the build-up. So that's also a very interesting development. So I think, yes, um, that Pep is in an incredible level. Um, and you can criticize that, you know, everybody can have their own opinion. And, and, but I think it's very interesting to see how that goes, how he develops it and what he does. And you can see if, if you see the difference of 20 years ago and now that, let us say this, the goalkeeper worse with his feet now is better than the best 20 years ago. That's what we see. People forget about that. But, you know, if we talk about 92, we talk about 2002, 2012, it's almost 30 years ago. So it took really a complete new generation to adapt to that. And you can see now that 
almost all the goalkeepers are reasonable with their feet. At least they can control, they try to build up. It's not always that they clean up. Um, yes, you also see other teams doing it. But what you more see is that the teams needs goalkeepers that are capable are more all-round. If you look at Liverpool, you can see with uh, Allison, he is all-round. So he's capable to build the ball up the way Liverpool wants it. And with having said that, it means automatically, if you play the ball to the right caller and to the right player, you have more possession. And automatically, it means you have to defend less. And if you have a goalkeeper that cannot do that, you have to defend more because, you know, you lose the ball a lot. So I think it becomes, after 30 years, more and more understandable. And it becomes also more important. If you decide to play the ball long, even then, they need to be able to make certain decisions, to play the ball in a certain area, to play the ball to certain players, and, for example, go to the second ball. So, yeah, there is, there is a beautiful development there. And now it's like, are you doing too much? Or is this the way it is? So, yeah, it's beautiful to see how that goes. I'd like to ask you about your time in Manchester with Louis van Gaal. When you yep. arrived at Old Trafford, was your philosophy well-received? By the goalkeepers at the club, or did it make them uncomfortable? Or uh, well, that's always an interesting, uh, uh, interesting question, eh? Because um, the first step, what I always do is I analyze them carefully, eh? and I talk about the number one till the number five. Eh? For me, uh, the number five can be as important as the number one at that moment. So I analyze what they are capable of, what I've seen. Then the second step is that you know how do we want to play. So how do we want to play with United in this case? And how do you want, for example, how do you want to build up? Uh, do you want it short? Do, do you want it long? And all that kind of stuff. So that's a mixture of these two. And on the moment that you have that very clear, which means you have to study, you have to prepare yourself for that. And I, I didn't know the goalkeepers at that moment, personally. Then you go into, you know, into meetings with each other. You go and work out on the pitch. And basically... Um, where they are at that moment. So how good are they with one versus one? How good are they with crosses? How good are they with building up? How So all the areas of goalkeeping, you first have to be very clear in what, what I've seen. I need to know what they think themselves. So basically it's a self-scan. Then you draw conclusions. And from the conclusions, you have to work together. Then you have to, then you have to know for sure what is the shortest way to, uh, to improve as quick as you can. I told you before, my philosophy is always out of the game, which means the game is the evaluation moment. You can see if somebody is becoming better or not, but to come as close to the game, you need to practice as close to the game, which means a lot of integrated practices, which is unusual for a lot of goalkeepers because still it becomes better and better. They are used to work in isolation. But what I said to you before is already the moment you talk about uh, the pass back and everything that is included with that, you need your teammates because they need to play the ball back. What moment, what time, how fast, how slow, what do they need to do after they play the ball back, giving options, you know, helping you, blocking the opponent, whatever it is. So being in uh, cooperation with each other becomes more and more important. And I started actually like this already in 85 with Cruyff. And he was also very open to that. So it's not that it's strange. 
but it's it's very logical in my opinion if you want to be a better bicycler you go and drive the bicycle or not you're not going to run so you want to be a better goalkeeper so what i do is i put them in the situation in where they are in games and you make the situation maybe less complicated so with less players for example uh and more repetitions whatever it is so it's more that they have to switch the chip from individually with like three goalkeepers, four goalkeepers and goalkeeper coaches, more integrated in the team, which also means for a coach that you need different qualities, you know, to coach them into the situation. And there's my, my advantage, basically. I am a regular coach. I have been playing out on the field. So I have that background in which I can coach them together with defenders, together with midfielders, together with attackers. So it's a, only a, it's, it's a very logical way, in my opinion, only, and that's what I said, when I started goalkeeper coaching, it has gone in a direction, technique, physical, and when possible, isolated. And that's what I try to do with the new book. Let everybody know what is the game, what does it mean for practices, and what is the shortest way to improve that as much as you can. And it's not based on that I think it has, to, it's also the experience. Okay? We all know that in the past, goalkeepers with like 35, 36, 37, they became the best goalkeepers. And it's strange because physically, they are not 23 anymore. So there's something else that makes them good. And they said experience, and they are right. It's experience in the game. And what I try to do is the game experience, bring that to the practice field. So they recognize all the situations. They know what the best answers and solutions are. And I, I, I started to do that already very early. And that's why from the start was 22 when he came in the first team, which then was very, very young. Uh, Valdez Reina, they were 19, 20 years of age, and they already played in the first team. So I believe in put them into the situations like in the game. So you can help them there. So they recognize them in the game. So the experiences, they don't get only in the games, they only get in the practices. And that's, it's a very logical way of thinking. Only goalkeeping has gone in all the directions. It's what I said already. Everybody, I think that, I believe that, my opinion is that. And it's all based on personal opinions. And I want to try to get like a world-based uh, 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 project. And they know, okay, what is the opinion? Where is it based on? What is successful? Why? And not because I feel it, no, because I can show you it. So it has to be more concrete. Hi, this is Ken Hardy, and you're listening to Red Devil Talk, the podcast with Jimmy Williams. After all these years, how do you reflect on the end of Louis van Gaal's tenure at United? Do you think the club were hasty in getting rid of him? Well, First of all, um, I'm, of course, always interested in, in, in clubs, in the way how they think and how they do it. I was, of course, a specialist. I, I did the goalkeeping part, plus I did the set pieces. But uh, when I, for example, went with Louis to Barcelona, I, we had some interesting discussions and, and, and I wanted to help to develop, more or less, a plan for Barcelona. So, and it started by... You know, and, and I said to Louis, okay, I would like to do that. And, and he said, okay, fine. So I went to Nunez and asked him, what is Barcelona? So he gave me 10 points, which were very important. From that philosophy, what way of playing fits this philosophy? Well, and then he said, 
you know, and, and then the president explained me what kind of playing they want to do. And of course, you also have in Spain and with Barcelona, there's a political aspect. So they wanted to play the way they play nowadays, which was initiated by Cruyff and also by Michels a little bit, and which now is like a trademark worldwide. So if you want to play like this, what players do you need? Well, this is the type of players that we need. What type of goalkeeper? This is the type of goalkeeper. Description of everybody on that pitch. Okay, if this is the players that we need, how do we educate them? Where do we find them? You go to the youth academy and, and, and mold the academy in a way that they can deliver this kind of players. If we don't have them, we need to scout. Okay, where do we scout? Well, Catalonia, you go in Spain. And if not in Spain, you go outside of Spain. So there's a start and there's a finish. So the moment we went actually to United, I'm always very interested in these aspects. So where are they known for? What's the way of playing? What does, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, if you look at that, that's the same with City. Eh? City now, for example, you see that they brought in Pep because they wanted to change their way of playing. And it took, whatever, three, four years to play the way they do right now. And they, and they had to buy many players, but their style is very known. If I look at United and I look at the history, I see that, of course, Ferguson had a fantastic spell, had a fantastic time, you know, to build on what he has been building on. Uh, he was not successful in the beginning. Everybody knows that. He did get the benefits of the doubts. In the end, they trusted his managers being his qualities and look where it ended. When you come after a period like that, which Moyes did, it's of course, it's different. And it's, it's, it's more difficult. Why? Because the time has been so incredible successful. Now you are a new manager with your personality, with everything you do. Okay, and how does it go? People on the outside, and I have to say, by the way, the, the United fans are incredible. I've never experienced fans like that. I mean, let's be honest. If you look at a game, you don't like it, you have the right, I think, to do something. In Spain, they sometimes were waving with white handkerchiefs. Okay, no problem. If, I mean, you're a fan, you want to see something, you don't see that, you want to express what I never, never saw that in United. And sometimes I thought, wow, you know, you have a right now to say, wow, this was not a good game or a boring game or disappointing. Anyway, going back to that, then you start like a track. So you, you could have seen with Moyes, you know, very successful with Everton, he was fired. You see it with Louis, two years, very successful in the whole world, fired after two years. Then you get Jose Mourinho, very successful in the whole world, fired. Now you see Ole, you know, he is under a lot of pressure on the moment. So the question of course is, what as a club do you really want? And do you give the time to people to make it happen? I don't know Moyes. I do know Jose Mourinho. Eh? We work together in Barcelona. I don't know Ole. I, I know Louis van Gaal. And I know that um, without any problem, you can give the club to Louis because that's what I've been experiencing. He is capable of molding a club and make it become something. I saw it at Ajax, of course. I saw that in Barcelona. He did the same in Holland with AZ, which is a very small club. He did it with Bayern München. And, and then United came. And we all know about what he did with the Dutch national team, you know, in like 2014 World Cup. 
So it's somebody that, that has experience, that has the background, that has been working in, in very big clubs and, um, well, gives somebody the option, the possibility to build it. And my feeling was actually that we did go in a very good direction. Eh? And we were very unlucky not to reach the final four when we won the FA Cup, also because of Leicester was incredible that season. And, and, and basically, I think we were the same in points, only the goal diff, there was something like that. So you go with that, you know, and you are behind the coach, like how they were behind uh, Ferguson, also in the most difficult period. Um, they could have done that with Moyes, they could have done that with Louis, they could have done that with, uh, with Jose. And it didn't happen, which in my opinion, it's, it's a pity. I had the feeling when we were at United, things were moving up, things were, you know, going into a certain direction. And unfortunately, you know, uh, Louis didn't get the chance to finish that up in the way that everybody wanted it to finish up, to end up with a very successful Man United. In my view, and, you know, I'm just a fan, it's just my opinion, but Louis van Hal was left down by Ed Woodward in the same way as Jose Mourinho was in the sense that I'm not sure they ever got their first choice transfer targets to, as you say, build what you're trying to build. Do you think United totally bought into Van Hal's philosophy? Um, well, we all know that the moment you are the coach of United or whatever big team it is, there's always pressure, which is normal. Um, but under the pressure, and I also understand that they, they look for other coaches when things are not going right or wrong. That's the reality there is. The only thing is, I think it's, it's incredibly important that you believe in the people you work with. For a coach with his players, listen, you can have the best player and the coach doesn't believe in the best player. That's an option. So then you have to choose for the player or for the coach. But if you believe in the coach, you make him part you know, of your club. And I think it's very important to discuss stuff. Where are we? Where do we want to go? And how do we want to go? And, um, and the moment that I don't say it is like that, but suppose you want to have the, the top five players in the world and you can't get the top five players in the world, then you need a little bit more time to get there where you want to be. And, and also, let's be honest, the, the Premier League, I mean, I've been in La Liga, I've been in the Bundesliga, I've been in the Eredivisie, I've been in, 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 um, in, uh, in Galatasaray. The Premier League is unpredictable, which means, you know, take the year that, you know, Leicester became the champions. That was unexpected. Everybody expected them to fall down the last 10 games and they didn't. That's also the beauty, to be honest. It, it, I mean, I didn't like it, but I liked it on the other side because they deserved it. And you have to be always realistic. So unpredictable. So yes, I think you should always be at the top four level. And yes, you should win prizes. And yes, you, you should be the champion in whatever time it is. You can see City, how they started. And, and they are struggling as well. You can see Liverpool, they did fantastic. They are struggling as well. It's not something unusual, but um, what I believe is go for the manager that you trust in. And, and let's be honest, if you talk about Louis, if you talk about Jose, they have been recognized worldwide. They have been working in the big leagues and they accomplished stuff in the big leagues. 
they're also very specific persons, as you know, because Ferguson is also a specific person. So they also have strong personalities. But the love for the game with both of them, it's there because that's why they do it. And the only thing they want is where they are functioning, working at that moment to make the best out of what is there. And you always need cooperation. Listen, I worked at Bayern München and maybe Bayern München is the best example worldwide at this moment. The club is from players eh? and, and I've been there with Hoeneß, with Rummenigge. It's amazing. You know, the, the, the football atmosphere, the football way of thinking, the football way of talking, the organization structure, that, that's the most beautiful example, in my opinion, in the world, that we have to take an example. And it's not coming overnight. Byron also has been building a fantastic organization over the years. And they were not every year successful in Europe. But, you know, they were always in the top of the Bundesliga, win many championships. And they were always, you know, every time they came also in the, in the Champions League up. But there's calmness. And even if they fire the coach in this case, eh, uh, the, guy, the coach that they fired, they still have the same philosophy. They continue to work on that philosophy. And Flick did a great job in carry that philosophy on. So I think nothing is bigger than a club. Nothing is bigger than the philosophy of the club. But it has to be very, very clear how you want to do it and how you want to develop that. And that only will benefit. And, and I want to say, take Ajax when Louis was coaching there, when Johan was coaching there, and before in the 70s, what always survives is the philosophy. And you can see it, it came back again. They almost were again in the Champions League final when they were beaten by Tottenham. You can see now the club is in the hands, uh, is, is, is with Edwin van der Sar and with Mark Overmars. So there's a lot of soccer knowledge there. And, and you know, the Eredivisie is small. Holland is a very small country. But a part of that, because of that very good, strong philosophy, the belief in the philosophy and the people that can execute it, they are there all the time. And if they fall down, they fall down, they come back again. And I think that's a beautiful example nowadays also for the big clubs. I totally agree with that. I think post Alex Ferguson, you mentioned Moyes, Van Hal, Mourinho. I don't think United had a clear identity. I don't think they had a clear vision of the direction they wanted to go because they're jumping from pillar to post with different types of managers and they're not giving them the time, as you mentioned. Well, I, I think you have a point there. If you see the different types of managers that were leading United after Ferguson, it's not like uh, Mourinho is a complete different type than, for example, Louis. You know, they, they work together closely. Mourinho did, did a good job, but you can see his way of playing is definitely not the, playing, the way of playing that Louis does. So I think that you make a good point there. If there's a clear philosophy, you look for the coaches uh, that fits that philosophy. I just have two more questions because I'm conscious of time. I want to thank you for your time very much again. Thank you. I listened to a podcast recently. It was yourself. And you, you suggested that on the day of the FA Cup final against Palace, you heard comments that suggested that United were thinking about making a move. Can you share any insight on those comments? Well, you know, uh, the world nowadays is, of course, very small. Uh, the social media, uh, 
uh, I mean, what we discuss now uh, can be tomorrow uh, or can be in one minute on social media. So uh, knowing that, that when something happens nowadays in the world, we know it very quickly. So yeah, we, we heard that rumors, of course, already uh, at halftime of that game. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's the way how football is, but on the other side, I think that the greatness of a club like United, uh, you can separate yourself from anybody in the club. It would have been, of course, it would have been nice and fitting United a lot better if they could keep that inside till the moment that they decided to get it outside. But, you know, I'm in the football world, well, already uh, from like 73, 74. And it, you know, it's never nice. You get used to it and you have to deal with the situation how it is. It doesn't mean that it's good or that it's bad or that you agree with it, but you have to deal with it. So um, a part of that, my feelings for United, because that's also important, uh, are very warm, especially... You know, I've been working with people there that, that live and die with United. Eh? The people that work on, uh, on all different levels. Uh, and they are really the United people. And, and you can feel how much they love the club and how much it hurts them if it doesn't go well and how much they want it to go well. And having felt, you know, these people, really United people, that is giving you such warm feelings. So... I always say, and, and, and I believe in that strongly, if you don't agree with stuff, you have to tell it at the moment that you are working inside. And that's the best way to do it. If I go outside, you will not hear me say negative things. Why? Because everybody is doing that. And I don't want to do that because it is, in this case, it's United, two years, in, incredible experience. And um, in, in the football world, sometimes it goes like this. So, you know, it, it, it's the way it is. If you now uh, hear that some people are even fired in some countries without even the competition has started, it, it, it's, it's a crazy world. And the question is, how crazy is it? And, and, and what can you do with it? And that's, that's a difficulty. I want to conclude by moving back to goalkeeping the idea of psychology, which is something that I'm very passionate about. Do you think psychology is important for a goalkeeper? And what I mean by that is having the resilience to bounce back from a setback, because I suppose in many respects, it's a very isolated position. Yeah, well, that's, that's a very good question. Eh? And um, um, it's, all, it's a combination of a lot of things. And some things are very visible. And some things are not visible. The psychological side is not visible. I can tell you everything about the goalkeeper's game. Yeah? If we are going to analyze it, I can say you what I see, what I think of it and why. Because I think like this, no problem at all. If you talk about, and, and also the physical side, yeah? you can see if somebody is capable of doing it the whole game, the whole season, extra time, penalty kicks, you can, you can measure that. The psychological side, it's an incredible interesting side. It's not so visible because what we see is not always what it is. So yes, it is of course uh, a part of being a good, great, fantastic goalkeeper because we have seen many examples in the world that if you have a goalkeeper that has a, fail of fear, failure, uh, a fear of failure and they make a mistake and they cannot bounce back, it's end of the story. 
if you have goalkeepers that cannot play with the pressure of one of the thousand people, you have a problem. If you have a goalkeeper that cannot deal with, let us say, all the criticism in the press, you have a problem. So, and this is an interesting part. Um, what I say and what I said in the, in the book, we talk about goalkeeping because that's already so diverse that I, I, would, I hope I can make that a little bit smaller. And now you come with the psychological part, which is incredibly important. But I'm not a psychologist. You know, you have to be realistic in what you can and what you can do. So what I always say to coaches is try to be a good observer. Try to observe what's going on. Of course, you, you can talk about things. But on the moment you see big problems like fear of failure or not bouncing back or being depressive or whatever it is, you need to go to specialists. You know, and you have a lot of sports psychologists at the moment that are very capable of really helping you. So is it important? Incredibly important. Listen, um, the life of a goalkeeper is not an easy one. Why? It's exactly what you say. If you make a mistake, you are that last person. They will all look at you and, and blame you or not. Um, if you are low in your self-confidence, then it shows. So they want to take advantage of it. Um, all of these things, you have to learn how to deal with that. And to be very honest, I include that also in all my practices. So number one is don't expect that you never make a mistake because you make a mistake. You can wait long, you can wait short, you make mistakes. So it's part of being you. The only, the only thing is if you make it, how do you deal with it? And also you need to be sometimes a little bit lucky. If you make a mistake, one zero, you lose. It's a very, very heavy mistake. If you make a mistake and you win 3-1, the mistake is not waiting that heavy. So sometimes you need to be lucky and take it as an example, as a learning moment. But also uh, uh, the same, it's not the end of the world if you lose a game. Because at top level, three days later, you get a chance again to make it right. So yes, you need to learn that, how to deal with that. Um, and in coaching, we can really help them with that. Okay, so one side, we can help them in coaching. And on the other side, if it really is tough, tough, you need uh, uh, specific help. Nowadays, and you talk about youth education, it's part of the youth education at the top level. So everything that happens, like whether it's social media, whether it's like facing the press, whether it's whatever, they, they are helped with that, which is, I think, a good thing. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute privilege have you on my show today i wish you all the best with your book i look forward thank to reading you. it thank you absolute pleasure thank you for being a guest and uh, good luck and please again i have all the respect for the united fans fantastic people they are really there really club fans and i want to send them warm regards as well you're a gentleman thank you Thanks for listening to Red Devil Talk. We hope you enjoyed our latest episode and don't forget you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Red Devil Talk. If you listen on an Apple device, please consider leaving a review and a five-star rating. If you have any questions or comments or want more information on Red Devil Talk podcasts, you can get in touch via email at reddevilTalkMedia at gmail.com. The Red Devil Talk podcasts are a Red Devil Talk Media production.